So here's the challenge. Uh, The challenge is that life in between is not always easy. Uh, Life in between here and heaven is filled with storms that rage, filled with uh, floods that rise, filled with uh, relationships that sour. This in-between is not a perfect time. Between here and heaven, we face challenges that can sap our strength and steal our hope. And yet, as we look together today at Psalm 78, we discover that there is a pathway to unlock hope for us every day as followers of Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus Christ, Psalm 78 speaks to our hearts and gives us, as the psalmist said, a parable, a lesson, a truth for us to embrace that will help us unlock hope regardless the season of suffering that we find ourselves in. Turn with me to Psalm 78. I want to just read a few verses out of the 72 verses that are in the chapter. We probably won't cover all 72 verses. And they sigh out of distress because they wanted to cover all 72 verses. All right, Psalm 78. I want you to hear as the psalmist begins. Now, here's the way the psalm breaks down. And, and I do want to, I don't always do this, but I do want to kind of give you an outline or kind of a theme that runs through Psalm 78 that helps bring all 72 verses together, okay? Verses 1 through 11 is kind of an introduction uh, to the whole of the psalm. Uh, and in this introduction, the psalmist says, I'm going to, I'm going to teach you something. I'm going to, I'm going to share a parable. Now this parable is not some make-believe lesson, but rather it is drawn from the history of God's dealings with Israel. And so, uh, the psalmist says, I'm going to unpack what God has done among his people so that we might learn the lessons that we need to learn. Now, that's verses 1 through 11. Within the verses 1 through 11, especially verses 7 through 11, we see that the psalmist uh, describes how that God has been good to Israel and then how Israel has been rebellious to God and how God brings judgment to Israel. And that is the theme. That's how the psalm unpacks. Uh, Throughout the rest of the psalm, you see this cycle happening. God is gracious to his people. His people are rebellious against God, and God punishes his people. They return to him in uh, faithfulness, or at least in words of faithfulness. And then they lose their faithfulness again. The psalmist says their heart is not steadfast for the Lord. They return to rebelliousness. God brings again punishment and graciousness and faithfulness and mercy. And in the punishment and then in response to the graciousness and the mercy, the children of Israel return again to God. And then after a while, they forget God and they rebel again. And God brings punishment and judgment and then grace and mercy. 
And the people respond again. There's this cycle that continually happens. In fact, if you look in beginning of verse 41, I believe, all the way almost to the end of the chapter, you see the psalmist recounting the Red Sea and the wilderness wanderings and how God had provided for the children of Israel through the wilderness and, and, and brought them out of Egypt with the plagues and, and even uh, the, the severest of plagues so that, so that uh, Pharaoh would let God's people go. And, and the psalmist rehearses that. And then he talks about how God parts the Red Sea and he brings the children of Israel through on dry ground and he brings uh, the seas down on the enemies. Of the people of God and and the children of Israel go to the mount uh, Mount Zion where uh, uh, where uh, where God speaks to them and 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 gives them His laws and 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 they then hear from Him but then they rebel again. It's it's this terrible cycle that that uh, that robs robs His people of hope. The same principles are true for us today. The cycle continues. As followers of Jesus, we see his great grace at work in our lives. But then, then we get on this merry-go-round of rebellion against God. How do we find hope when the season of suffering that we're undergoing is a season that we've invited on ourselves through our own rebellion against God? Where's the hope in that? Well, the psalmist tries to break it down. And again, at the very beginning of the psalm, let me read the first few verses. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth in a parable. I'll utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. Verse 7, now here it is so that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God and keep his commandments. Verse 7 really does provide for us the theme of the entire psalm. And it's simply this. We unlock hope through obedience to God. And that is the big picture of this psalm. You and I, we unlock hope for our everyday lives as followers of Jesus through obedience to God. Look again in verse 7. He says, God's given us, God's given us these, these mighty works that he's done. And he's given us this law that he has put on our hearts as followers of Jesus so that we might share them with the generations to come. So that the generations to come might have hope even in dark days. So that they may set their hope in God and obey the commandments of God. The theme there is very simple. The psalmist is trying to elicit obedience among the people of God. So that they might discover, unlock, unleash hope in their everyday lives. That hope rests not on our ability to navigate 
or manage the chaos within us or around us, but rather that hope rests in a holy God who loves us and does mighty works of grace among us. So as we unpack this psalm, realizing there's a cycle that goes on, I want to call attention to a couple of things that help us unlock hope through obedience to God. And the first, well, let me say this so you don't miss it. If I say it at the beginning, you probably won't miss it. All right, here's the deal. Disobedience to God blocks our hope. Obedience to God unlocks our hope. Disobedience to God blocks hope. Obedience to God unlocks hope. You look at your relationships and maybe you have relationships that are out of whack, that are suffering, that are soured. Why Why is that? Well, the first course of action that I take when my relationships are out of whack is I'm going to look and see, am I being disobedient to God in any arena of my relationships? If I'm being disobedient or if that relationship is displeasing to God, then there's no wonder it's filled with soured results. Disobedience to God blocks hope. But obedience to God unlocks hope. If my finances are, are, are confused and out of whack and, and, and messed up, my first course of action, am I being obedient to God in my finances? I'm not looking to the President of the United States to fix finances when I'm being disobedient to the King of the universe. Am I being disobedient to God in my finances? And if I am, then I need to correct that so that I might have hope even in uncertain economic times. People come to church all the time and say, oh, I just can't stand that church. It's so dry. I can't stand that church. I just, I just, I just, I don't enjoy it. I can't, I, I don't enjoy it anymore. They walk through the hallways of the lobby talking to everybody, but they never gather with the people of God for worship and and, and never get engaged in a small group and a life group to to find community. But they come to church and they cast aspersions over the church and, and you wonder why. Well, maybe, just maybe, the reason they're not experiencing life in the church is because there's disobedience already in their heart that's blocking hope. God has a plan, and it's a pattern that continues throughout history and will continue on into eternity. Obedience to him unlocks hope. No matter the storm that rages, no matter the flood that rises, no matter the chaos around us or within us, when we are obedient to God, we set our hope in him. And we find hope that survives the storm. And gives us strength in the days and seasons of our sufferings. Okay? So, as we unpack this, and again, I can't do all uh, 72 verses, so we're going to do kind of a summary of all 72 verses. But as we look at this, how, how does this work in our everyday life? Well, the, the first thing we see in this passage and, and in this psalm is that, that when, when, when we consider... Uh, hope, 
we need to consider that God moves with grace and power. God is the initiator. And this is what I love. One of the things I love about when I study God, when I study theology and, 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 and study passages of Scripture, I love this, this basic, simple truth that God is the one who initiates hope for us. God moves with grace and power. That's what the psalmist is talking about at the very beginning when he says, I'm going to tell of God's greatness. I'm going to tell of God's, of God's goodness. I'm going, to, I'm going to talk about his wondrous works that he's made known. I'm going to tell the, the generations to come about his strength and his wonderful works. God is moved with grace and power. We see this that the, in, 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 later on and in, in, in how that verse 12, he says, Marvelous things God did in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt, in the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He made the water stand up like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud. And at night, the light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and he gave them drink in the abundance like depths. He also brought streams out of the rock. And cause waters to run, run down like rivers. Here is the principle. God initiates hope for us. The children of Israel walking through the wilderness and, and, and God begins to move. He severs the seas to rescue us. God would not let the gulf between heaven and humanity created by our sin stop hope. But rather, he sent Jesus to bridge the distance between sinners like me and a holy God. He severs the seas of my sinfulness to initiate hope. This is God's grace and power moving. He severs the seas to bring rescue to me. Here's hope. Not that somehow I initiate with God, but that he initiates with me to deliver me, to rescue me, to carry me up in his arms and hold me close. He severs the seas. He, 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 he sets signposts for us to follow, to give us leadership. The psalmist talks about a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Said that God wouldn't let the children of Israel wander around aimlessly, but he led them. You might say, well, where's my pillar of cloud today? Where's my pillar of fire? It's in the word of God and in the spirit of God residing within you. God, by his word and by his spirit, directs you, 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 you have all the answers you need for everything in life through the word of God and the spirit of God residing within you, speaking to you, leading you. God has set up signposts in your heart and in his word to direct your steps toward hope. And that's God initiating. That's not us initiating. It's not somehow we uh, recited a magical incantation and the Spirit of God somehow resides within us. No, this is God initiating with grace and mercy and power to pour His Spirit within His people who by faith have trusted Jesus and now live as His people, led by His Spirit 
through his word to us daily. God moves with grace and power. He severs the seas. He sets up signposts. He splits the earth to provide and care for our needs. He tells the story how God broke open a rock so that the children of Israel might have water to drink. Later, he talks about God bringing manna from heaven and quail from heaven to feed his people. The picture here is that God in grace initiates the daily provisions that we need. This is who God is. He moves with grace and power. There is where our hope resides. It's in a great God who loves us and loves us still. The amazing thing about these cycles that we see in this passage is, uh, I mean, uh, just immediately after he's uh, talking about uh, verse 16, bringing streams out of the rock and causing waters to run down like rivers. Verse 17, look at verse 17. What does it say? Verse 17, somebody tell me, what does it say? So God initiates this wondrous movement of his grace and power. And they sin even more against him. You see, matching God's glorious grace and wondrous power is our rebellion. Outlook. Let's just get out of church mode for a second because sometimes we get in church mode and we forget that we're real people living in real life in real time. See, the truth is, God is faithful and so often I'm not. The truth is, God does wondrous things for me. I mean, if I just stopped at salvation, rescue, He's given me life through faith in Jesus Christ. He's paid for the debt of my sin. He's overwhelmed my guilt and shame with the power of his mercy through Jesus dying on a cross and being raised from the dead. Yes, that's enough for a lifetime and an eternity to give me hope in God. But he does more. He pours his spirit within me so that I might walk through this life directed explicitly by him again enough to give me hope in this life but he does more he takes care of my daily needs and that should be enough and yet looking at all that God has done and is doing in grace and power, I still return to the merry-go-round of rebelliousness. And yet they sinned even more. See, guys, this is what we need to teach our children. We need to be honest and upfront about the, to the gen, next generation about the cycle of sin that pervades in our own lives. How that we, despite our, 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 our going to church and despite our being here in this room today, that we are so often unfaithful. 
And we need to be honest about our unfaithfulness and the consequences of it. And we need to get off the merry-go-round of rebelliousness. See, what, what the psalmist is doing is he's highlighting in the past how the children of Israel received such wonderful things from a holy God and responded for a season with faithfulness, but then rebelled even more. They, they were on this, this, this revolving door of God being faithful, them, uh, them uh, in response, worshiping him with their words, and then rebelling again. I, 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 I'm, I'm amazed, I'm amazed not at the children of Israel. I'm amazed at myself. Aren't you sometimes? When I say amazed, I'm not talking about it in a good way. Aren't you sometimes just distressed by how unfaithful to God you become? Aren't you, aren't you overwhelmed sometimes, maybe today, with distress and despair because of your unfaithfulness? Remember, the principle in this passage is that obedience to God unlocks hope, but disobedience to God blocks hope. So many of us are living hopeless lives because we've received the great blessings of God's grace and power and then we stiff arm God and we go our own way and we forget him. We sin even more against him. In this passage, we see the psalmist describing this, this, uh, this, this result that happens in us. Look down in verses 32 and 33. It says, in spite of this, they still sinned. Again, God brought judgment. And in spite of the judgment, in spite of his acts of mercy, they still sinned. And they didn't believe in his wondrous works. Therefore, their days he consumed in futility. And that's a term for emptiness. He consumed their days in emptiness and in fear, and, in, and their years in fear. When, when we stiff-arm God, when we, when we are stuck on the uh, merry-go-round of rebelliousness, make no mistake, rather than hope, we have emptiness. Rather than hope, we have fear. Do you realize God wants you to live in hope? in the confidence that he is moving and operating. But when we live in disobedience, we ignore, we don't believe in his wondrous works. We only believe in our own power and our own ability and our own judgments. But God says to you and to me today, by his spirit, through his word, get off the merry-go-round of rebelliousness. How do you do it? How do you get off the merry-go-round? It's not through lip service, but through brokenness. You see, we need to embrace brokenness rather than just lip service. 
So many times what we do is we, 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 we rebel against God. He brings his, his, his disciplining hand toward us. And then we give lip service to God. We get in here and, and listen, listen to how the psalmist described it. Look at verse 36 through 37. It said, nevertheless, they flattered God with their mouth and they lied to him with their tongue for their heart was not steadfast with him, nor were they faithful in his covenant. They, 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 verse 30, 30, uh, 34 and 35 says they remembered that God was their rock, the most high God, their redeemer. They, they remembered that this is God. And so they got together and they started saying all these fine words, God, you're our rock. You're our rescuer. We praise you. We redeem you. I mean, we, we praise you as our redeemer. We thank you for your provision. We do all these things that we hear every Sunday when we gather together as the people of God. Every song we sing has elements of this praise. But for many of us, it is only lip service. It's lying to God with our tongue. Words that we say, games that we play. God's not looking merely for words. He's looking for a brokenness in us. We get off the merry-go-round of rebelliousness through brokenness. Not through just gathering in a church and saying a few words together. You want hope in your life? Be broken before holy God. You want hope in your relationships? Be broken before holy God. You want joy in your worship? Be broken before holy God. You want hope in an uncertain world? Be broken before a holy God. If things play out the way they normally do, what's going to happen is somebody's going to write me a note and say, I hate it when you yell at me. That's what they're going to say. They're going to miss the message altogether. They're just going to say how, oh, I can't stand it when you talk loud. It feels like you're scolding me. Can I just say, if, if it feels like that, then embrace it. Because that could be God's gift to you to lead you to brokenness. I know in my own life, listen, I've got choices when I disobey God. When I disobey God, I can ignore him altogether. And he brings judgment and and discipline on me as, as a rebellious follower of Jesus. And I can continue in my pride and I get here and, and I, I'll say my words and I'll do my things that are religious in nature. But my heart is not steadfast with the Lord. And I live every day in hopelessness. That's one option for you today. Later on in the psalm, we see how that God rejected Ephraim but chose David. Uh, Ephraim was a picture of the northern kingdom. David was a picture of the southern kingdom. And why did God reject Ephraim? And why did he embrace David? Because Ephraim 
said the right words, but their heart was not steadfast with the Lord. Ephraim played church with lying lips to the Lord. So God rejected them, but God chose David. Why did God chose David? He chose David because David was a man who understood the power of brokenness. I want you to hear what David wrote in Psalm 34, verse 18, and listen to how these words drip with hope. Psalm 34, verse 17 and 18. David is writing this psalm, and he says, The righteous cry out, the Lord hears, and the Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. Why? Verse 18. Because the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he rescues all that have a contrite spirit. You know what my prayer for us here today is? It's that that God would give us a broken heart over our rebellion. That God would lead us to a brokenness where we can no longer stand and sing our songs until we fall on our faces in repentance. You know what I'm praying for our church? I'm praying for our church that we would be a people broken over our sinfulness. Not prideful in our resources, not prideful in our um, ability to do certain things, but that we would be a people broken over our sinfulness because therein lies our hope. We get off the merry-go-round of rebelliousness when we trade in our lip service to God for a heart that's broken over our sin. In seasons of suffering, and I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in some of you, In seasons of suffering, God awakens us to our own sinfulness. I want you to hear this, okay? In seasons of suffering, God awakens us to our own sinfulness so that by the power of his spirit, we might respond with a true brokenness, repentance over our sin, not rationalizing our behavior, not excusing our bad attitudes, not, 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 excusing uh, our, our habits that are against his will, but, but we lay ourselves open before a holy God and we repent. And we turn from our disobedience. And we turned, turn again toward obedience so that we might find hope again. This morning, I invite you to allow God to speak to your heart. To lead you to unlock hope in your life. Hope that rests in him. Hope that comes from obedience to him. Allow this season of suffering or sorrow or uncertainty Awaken you to your own sinfulness and respond 
with brokenness. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. And the Lord moves to deliver them out of all their trouble because the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart over their sin. And he rescues all who have a contrite spirit. Will you respond to this parable of Psalm 78 with repentance and brokenness? Would you bow your heads, please? In these moments, will you just allow the Spirit of God to speak to you? Will you allow his word to shape your response in this moment, in this moment? Will you listen to him? Not thinking about the people around you, not thinking about what comes next. Will you just listen to him and respond? You might say, well, Eric, I don't have anything to be broken over. And I would say, that's just not true. You might say, well, Eric, I've been broken for some time now. And I'm looking for some relief. And I would just say, allow the season of brokenness to lead you to the security and hope that you have in God who loves you. This morning, God is initiating his grace and power in your life. But you must be humble and broken before him. So God, in these moments, will you speak to your people? Will you lead us to respond according to your word? By your spirit, will you break us, remake us, and lift us up so that we can stand firmly fixed upon a solid rock? Thank you for Jesus who has rescued us. Now let us live not neglecting so great a salvation, but living in obedience so that we might have hope. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.